Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me, James, James is where we're headed, James chapter 5, uh, I almost didn't come to church today. You're supposed to say, why not? Why not? Well, vanity. I had a little accident yesterday and banged my nose and face up pretty good, and some have asked me, was it your wife's right hand? And I said, no, I can block her right hand, it's the left hand that I sometimes... No, she didn't do that. Clumsy me, I fell and uh, had a little pretty nasty fall, but I am okay and honored to be with you today. Uh, We've been doing the book of James, and the series is called A Word to the Wise. The book of James is about wisdom, wisdom for making right decisions. And my thesis in this series is spiritual truth that I've tried to get you to hold on to was simply this, wise people apply God's word to everyday situations. And when we do that, we'll be making the right choices. Uh, James is very practical. He's very doable. It's called the gospel in shoe leather. James was the brother of Jesus. Uh, His wisdom is much like wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So next week, we'll finish up the book of James. And then two weeks after the next two weeks after that, we're going to talk politics. We're going to, I want to do my best to enter into the conversations that you're hearing every day. And how many can say I'm sick of hearing them? I tell you what, sometimes you listen to a lie, I almost got, I got upset the other day listening to the vice presidential debate, and you just want to jump and hit the television. But anyway, I I, want to share with you uh, a biblical look in a couple weeks about the issues that we're talking about as Americans. Uh, My first one will be on the basic concept of freedom. It's something that I never thought in conversation would emerge in America, is that we should be a socialist nation. We'll talk about this concept of freedom, and then the next week we'll talk about, of course, all the different issues. But there's a lot of voter information. There's sample voter guides in the lobby, and I know it will help you. Last week, if you were here, of course, it's all online. We talked about, we contrasted foolish and wise people regarded money and possessions. James talked a lot to us. Uh, James said, basically, foolish people have a self-centered view of money and possessions, whereas uh, wise people have a God-centered view. James was pretty tough on us last week. He talked about hoarding. He talked about greed, uh, excessive self-indulgence. We learned last week from the Bible that God wants us to enjoy life. God is a good God. God meets our needs, and God wants us to enjoy what He gives us, but He doesn't want us to cross the line. Remember, we also talked about something very helpful that was kind of what I suggest as as a budget for your money. Uh, I contend there's only four things you can do with money. Number one, you can meet your needs and enjoy life. And everybody say, praise God for that. I want to suggest that meeting needs and enjoying life was about 75 to 80%. And that's the great challenge. Because for all of us, 75 and 80% is not enough, right? How many know it's not? Because 100% is not enough. <laughs> this time of the year is an awkward time for me. It's a time of uh, uh, when my uh, Max Prairie Wings uh, duck hunting catalog comes in. Uh, it makes me want what's new, and I realize I don't, it, it kind of stirs something in me. And, 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 and we all have these things to push ourselves beyond the border of the needs and enjoyment. And then we don't have time to do the third thing, which is saving about 10%, save for the future. And then lastly, the key one is that we set aside 10 to 15% to be able to build God's kingdom and share with other people. Our generosity and our sharing works to crucify greed and the hoarding and all those things in life. Anyway, it's all online, but uh, very helpful. Now, today, 
should be for the Christian perhaps the most exciting topic we could talk about because we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about an event that was predicted throughout the scripture that we are closer today than the world has ever been. James gave us about six verses. We're going to kind of walk slowly through those six verses and then I want to broaden the conversation and I want to look at and see what angels had to say about the second coming, what uh, uh, Peter the apostle had to say, and what Jesus had to say. And I think you'll find it uh, uh, very meaningful. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but I want to paint a picture for you about an event that will impact the entire world. This is uh, part nine in our series of A Word to the Wise. James chapter 5, verse 7, if you've got your Bibles, uh, either uh, in print or on phone, follow along with me. First thing he says is what? Be See, when I ask you a question, it's polite to answer the question. So what's the first thing James says? Yeah, be patient. Be patient until the Lord's coming. And then he says, for an example of patience, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop, waiting uh, for the autumn and spring rains, and you too be patient and, what else? Stand firm, that's important, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, we're going we're gonna to take this apart uh, in today's message, but when they said the Lord com was coming is near, as you look through the fabric of the New Testament, you will see that all the, all the writers that wrote about it believed in an imminent second coming. They believed that Christ was coming quickly, that it would happen in their lifetime, but now it's been 2,000 years, and we're going to talk about that dilemma, but let's break it apart a little bit. The first is be patient, and that simply means be prepared to wait a long time. How many know there's a, there's a big difference between a 100-yard dash and a 26-mile marathon? Anybody run a marathon in here? Uh-huh, me neither. Half a marathon? I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Anybody get tired running around the house? All right. Be patient. Let me give you an illustration. He used the farmer. I was uh, with my dad and brother in Mississippi uh, a few days ago. They're harvesting corn. And uh, they'll leave that picture up for a few moments. But it looks pretty cool there. That stuff is coming out. It's not very much. Three or $4 a bushel. But it's coming out, you know, a bushel every couple seconds there. So, so it adds up. Uh, they fill those buggies up. And then we fill the trucks up. And off they go. It's a pretty cool thing. But the farmer's got to be patient. Now, this day that happened in October started way before March. But in March is planting time. Dad, they, they like to have the corn planted by March 15th is the goal. And uh, I'll call sometimes around then. I say, well, how it's going? Well, it's wet. I'm waiting for the sun to come out. And then I'll call a few days later. I said, did you get corn planted? Yeah, I got it planted. Has it come up? No, waiting for it to come up. And then I'll call about a month later. I said, how's your corn doing? Oh, it needs a rain. I'm waiting for a rain real bad. And then uh, I, I, I call along about July, see how the corn's doing, when I should come back. And uh, I, I said, well, how's the corn doing? He said, well, the, the ears hadn't fallen yet. It's going to be a while. We're still waiting. And all that waiting until the big day of harvest comes up. Well, this is what James says is how we should live our Christian life, is waiting for the Lord's uh, return, being patient. Stand firm means to not lose faith. If you will stay with me in these passages of Scripture, you will see that there will be challenges to our faith. The Bible says in the last days it will be difficult to be a Christian. And the Bible says many will fall away. 
And my hope is that will be none of us that will remain strong uh, uh, as we look ahead to his coming. Now look at verse 9, the strangest verse. If I was, uh, uh, didn't know much about the Bible, I would say, I wonder why in the world he put that there. So right in the midst of his statement about the Lord's coming, what did he say? He said, don't, don't grumble against one another. That complaining, that nitpicking, uh, or you're going to be what? Why would he say that? Maybe it's because he values our relationship as his children. He's our father. We're brothers and sisters. I tell you, one of the most shocking scriptures in the Bible to me is in Corinthians, the Lord's Supper, where Paul said many are weak, sick, and dying because they fail to discern the Lord's body, which is the church. It's the way they were treating each other. So all I want to say about that is the bottom line is James said Jesus is very concerned how Christians treat each other. And uh, listen, if he's concerned, we should be concerned as well. Um, Linnell talked about this prayer, God. This will deepen your spiritual life. I'm doing it, and it's just a little short paragraph. One day I did it in the morning. One day I did it when I started back at my desk at lunch. But listen to what, what the prayer was for yesterday. It says, let our church be known by the love we have for one another. Let us live in harmony with each other. And let there be no divisions in our church. Uh, in our church. Rather, let us be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Isn't that just the opposite of what James was talking about, about grumbling? And that's how we're, that's how we're supposed to be. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now look in verse 10, uh, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. First he looked at farmers, now he's looking at, uh, at prophets. This word patience in the, in the face of suffering. Patience means staying calm in the face of trouble without complaining. How many, how many can say it's pretty easy for me to complain? Come on, both hands, both feet. James says, stay calm in the face of trouble. And suffering means it's the hardship we suffer at the hand of others. Now, this is a strong message today because the Bible teaches that there will be difficult times in the last, last days. It teaches that God will give us grace, God will strengthen us, but there's suffering. That's around the world. Did you know today there are between two and 250 million Christians being persecuted in their faith around the world? We have many friends in our church from Nigeria. In their nation, there are often Christian beheadings. You can see pictures. They so hate the Christian community. It's tough out there sometimes. Now, prophets, prophets were people who proclaimed God's message. A prophet not only predicted the future, but the prophet spoke for God. That prophet would interpret God's will. And you know what some people would say? <laughs> we don't like it. And these prophets were hated, not because they did wrong, but because they loved God. Would it be fair to say there is probably more hatred in America today than we've ever experienced in our lifetime? I'm 63. I can't remember this degree of hatred. Now, the racial hatred, I think, perhaps in my when I was younger, could have been during the civil rights movement. That, that it could have certainly compared, but it's hatred everywhere you look today. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a political candidate hated as much as Donald Trump. And this is not intended to be a promotion; it's just a fact. But I mean, you know, uh, my seven-year-old uh, niece—we were in Mississippi—and she said, "Mom, Mom, the orange man's on the phone." 
you know, his makeup looked kind of orange. And, but then I read about it, and there's just people that just downright hate him. Uh, he is, you know, I wish he wouldn't tweet so much. He cusses. He's certainly not, you know, we didn't elect him as a pastor. But I, I, I wonder if for some of the reasons they hate him, they hate us. Here's what I mean by that. There's no president in my lifetime that has done more for the nation of Israel than this president. Our embassy is there. Uh, the treaty with Iran was reversed to protect Israel from their nuclear weapons. Abortion. I've heard leading, leading leaders in the abortion movement in America, and they'll say, uh, in generations, no president has ever taken as many stands for the unborn. Now, whether you love him or like him or vote for him or not, that, that's okay. But, but he's, he's made that stand. There's a lot of hatred if you're against abortion. You just, you just feel it. Um, religious freedom. I, I was feeling it strongly a number of years ago. Our president has done many things to protect religious freedom in America, but also around the world in Secretary Pompeo. And I wonder if he was off the scene and if as a Christian. See, these are biblical issues. Politics is not just about what you hear on TV and Yahoo and wherever, Facebook. Uh, there's a biblical perspective, and I don't know why he chose to, to, to cover and support the Bible-believing Christian, but he has, and they hate him. And I wonder if that same hatred, when he's out, out, off the picture, might be directed to us. Because when you talk about some biblical things that he talks about, and I'm sure you can separate the two, not everything he says is, you know, he's not a Bible preacher, okay? But there's some things that are biblical. Well, the prophets experience this. Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah said, I tell the people about the message I received from the Lord, but this only brings me insults. The people make fun of me all day long, but in spite of their suffering, they stayed strong with God. And here's what I want for us. If hardship comes to us, if difficulty comes to us, if people hate us, if they mock us, if they laugh at us, if they persecute us, how many can say we're going to stand strong for Jesus? Yeah, that's the message that James is, is giving. Look at verse 11. Uh, we're going to add another word. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And then he said, you've heard of Job's perseverance. Let me tell you what perseverance means. It means to be steadfast, to be faithful, to be true to the end. It means to be continue to bear up under, under difficult circumstances. Now, patience and perseverance go together. Patience means I might have to wait a long time for Jesus to come. Perseverance is I'm holding on to my faith in God if difficulty comes. I'm tightening my spiritual seatbelt. And notice what he said. He uses Job as an example. And then he said, you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. And then he said a strange phrase, but it's true. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion. Now, if you looked at the first part of Job's life, it was perfect. God blessed his socks off. If you looked at the last part of his life, it was perfect. God blessed him again. But there's about two or three years in the book of Job. Job literally lived through hell on earth. But yet, God is still full of compassion and mercy. And let me help you this, because I believe many people have turned their backs on God and walked away because they felt God let them down. I bet you know someone that quit following the Lord because a prayer was not answered, because something happened. Well, understand it this way. Uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, if that door represents the door of free will, they opened it for the devil to come in the human race. 
And when the devil came into the human race, evil began to come into the world. Disease began to come into the world. Copperhead snakes began to come into the world. Come on now. All sorts of evil. The IRS came into the world. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean evil just came into the world and flooded the planet. But yet, God allowed that, the choice of free will. One day, Jesus is going to boot him out. He's going to hell. And then all the bad stuff is going to be gone. Come on now. The Bible says in heaven, there's no more dying, no more crying. There's no more heartache. There's no more suffering. There's no more uh, divorce. There's no more child uh, parentless homes. There's no more foster children without love. There are all the evil that's in the world today. There's no more tornadoes. There's no more hurricanes. There's no more violence on our streets when Jesus gets rid of all that. But God is still a good God, even in this in-between. And what we need is perseverance so we don't give up and quit. Job loved God, but Satan killed his kids. You read the story. First two chapters will tell you pretty much everything you need to know. Satan killed his kids. He used weather events to do it. Uh, then Satan took all of his business, bankrupted him. And then for the final straw, Satan made him sick. I don't know how he did it, but he got such horrible boils. And he was in torment. And his wife said, curse God and die. And he said, lady, I'll never do it. God's still a good God. So Job was an example of perseverance. And then one day, towards the end of the book, God says, enough. And the man was promoted again. But this is the kind of perseverance we need uh, until Jesus comes. Now, that's what James had to say. Let's broaden it a little bit. And I want to talk first about angels and then Peter and what Jesus himself said about his second coming. Now, how many believe in angels? Yeah, I believe in angels. Uh, I believe one time in my life, uh, I had an angelic vision, a literal vision, when I was in the Navy in Adak, Alaska. Maybe I'll tell you about it sometimes. But uh, I want to encourage you to see what I'm going to read today is not just the Bible. Because there's a lot of particularly in secular thought today. The humanist has told us that the Bible is a storybook, a fairy tale. It's mythology. It's not true. I want to suggest that you see, as I share these words, that the Bible is a historical record. It is the most documented of any book of antiquity, far more than any other book. Listen, we take things about the Gallic Wars and the Caesars, and you know, uh, we take all those things for granted, and it may be one document or it may be one oral tradition that was passed along. But the Bible is not just a book for spiritual people. The Bible is a history book. And there's a recording. Many, many people saw this. This, this is how history is uh, validated or verified through witnesses. And there were witnesses that were there when the, what the angels said. Let's re look at this first one. Acts chapter 1. Angels said that Jesus is literally returning to earth. Now, I want to set it up because... In this message, I don't want to just give you information for you to think about and knowledge to put in your head about God. I want you to ask this question. How should this impact the way I live my life? If what the Bible is saying, if I believe what the Bible is saying about the second coming of Jesus Christ, how should it affect the way I live today and tomorrow? That's what these verses will uncover for us. Acts 1.8 begins with what Jesus' last words before he literally went to heaven. Now, have you ever been around a dying person and they took your hand? Maybe it was a father, a mother, a grandmother. They're not going to take your hand and say, you know, if your grandma's dying, she's not going to say, Honey, Albertson is having a sale on chickens. You need to go over there before five. She's not going to tell you that. She's going to tell you something that matters. 
She's going to say, honey, you're created in the image of God and God didn't make a mistake. You'll never forget it as long as you live. She'll say, honey, live for Jesus. She'll say, honey, take care of your brothers and sisters and your mom and dad when they get. They'll tell you things that you hold on for life. Well, the last thing Jesus said to the people, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my what? My witnesses, which means you'll tell people about me everywhere. This is the main thing we're supposed to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus to come is our Christian witness going as far and wide as we go on the face of the earth. It's the heart of everything we do in this church. It's reaching people for Jesus. After Jesus said this last thing, verse 9, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Literally, Jesus began to go into the air. He was now resurrected. He was now, he had no more trappings of humanity. He took, uh, he took authority over the force of nature. He didn't have to have a string to pull him up. He took authority over gravity and he ascended as the king of kings and lord of lords. And as he disappeared into the clouds, the clouds hid him from their sight. Look at verse 10. Suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now who were they? They were angels. Sure they were. Oftentimes, angels come in the appearance of human beings. Uh, suddenly, two men dressed in white. And they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, say it with me, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, one day, the Bible says there's going to be the shout of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. One day, Jesus is going to appear in the sky. He's going to be riding a great white horse. I don't believe it's symbolic. I believe it's literal. And he's going to be coming back. Listen, angels are going to be surrounding him. That ought to make you excited today, friends. Your Savior is coming back in the clouds one day. He's coming back to take his saints with him. He'll meet, we'll meet him in the air in the rapture. Those that have died in Christ before us, the Bible says, graves will break open and we'll be with him forever. This is our soon and coming king. But, the Bible t but Jesus told us he's coming back, but I've got a job for you to do. I want you to share your faith with as many people as you can. How do you do that? Put Bibles in that globe and we buy Bibles and send them to people that don't have them. Share your faith in your neighborhood. Take those little invitation cards and pass them out. Pray. Go on mission trips. Linnell's going to be starting them up pretty soon. Uh, take the gospel everywhere we go. Jesus said in Matthew 24, now this is significant as far as timing. Jesus said the good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world and every nation, and then the end will come. In other words, Jesus is waiting on us to take his gospel through the four, to the four corners of the earth. When I look for end-time theology, mine is not built around the Antichrist. My end-time theology is built around the gospel going to all the world. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let's look further. Look at Peter. The apostle Peter said this, a 2,000-year delay does not mean he's not coming back. Now, I realize some of us are skeptics this morning. That's okay. All of us have been at one times in our life because the Bible's claims are supernatural. They are beyond oftentimes uh, human reasoning and human experience. But if what Christ said was true, he's gone to prepare a place for us. Come on now. And if he's going to go prepare a place for us, he's coming back to get us. Listen, if eternity is forever, if heaven and hell are real, it's worth considering. 
it's worth considering and asking yourself, is it worth paying the price to be a Christian because it's not always easy? Listen to what Peter said. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord through the apostles. It's most important for you to understand what will happen in the last days. Last days include the second coming of Christ, but much more. The last days includes events like the whole, most of the book of Revelation. Uh, it includes events uh, like signs in the skies, like the Antichrist coming to the earth, uh, like this huge 200 million person army marching against God's people. Revelation is filled with it. But the second coming is separate. Now notice what it says. First thing he said was people will do what? They'll laugh at you. How many have ever been laughed at because you're a Christian? It hurts your feelings, doesn't it? It hurt. Well, it hurts mine. I post something on Facebook, and every once in a while, I get somebody, uh, you know, telling me I'm stupid and all. You know how they do. And my lower lip drops. I want everybody to like me. Come on, you do too. But at some point, we don't have to be ugly back to them. But it's a part of it. I made a post, I post on one uh, non-Christian non, site that's let me on it in my Facebook post, and this guy was really saying vile things about Jesus coming again. And I just stopped, and I just had pity on him. I asked God to have mercy on him. I asked God to open his eyes. See, because he does it because he doesn't know Christ. They'll laugh at you, but notice what else. They'll live doing the evil things they want to do. Does it seem like our world is becoming better or worse? Does it seem like more people are doing bad things? Does it seem like there's more child molesters on the front page of our newspaper? You know, uh, does it seem like Netflix and others, of course, they've been producing pornography forever, but I mean, our world is getting evil. I mean, so many people are killed on the streets, particularly of our, of our major cities. Just a couple days ago in New Boston, right down the street, a young woman that had a baby uh, was pregnant, and, and, and another woman, a young girl, took a knife and cut the baby out, and the baby died, and the mother died. I mean, this is evil. But you know what? Some people like evil. Ha have, you, have you looked at some of the, the rioters and the looters, the supposedly peaceful, pro peaceful protests, and they stick up their middle finger in the air at you, and they F this and F that, and... You know, they'll kill you and they threaten to kill you. It's just evil in the world. This is what Peter said the last days would be like. Uh, but then, they, then here's how they mock. They'll say, Jesus promised to come again. <laughs> Where is he, Christian? Our fathers have died and the world continues the way it's been since time was made. Sounds very rational. Sounds like what a good humanist would say, a very, you know, uh, factual-based earth and universe and everything is a closed system and we're just going by the facts. But look at verse 5. They don't want to remember what happened long ago. And it's talking about Noah. When Noah took a hundred years to build an ark, literally, that saved the human race, saved, uh, saved the animals, they, uh, he, and he preached a hundred years. He was a preacher of righteousness and nobody listened. Then the Bible says in verse 6, the world was flooded and destroyed with water. The world's going to be destroyed again, friends, but this time with fire. Listen to what the Bible says. And this is very telling, verse 8. Don't forget this one thing. To the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. The thousand years is as one day. 
What does that mean? God doesn't see and view time like we do. God is not looking at the little chronograph on his hand, and he's not looking at his phone, see what time it is, and he's living in the moment. You and I live in the moment. We, we have memory of the past. We think we know some things about the future. But God, in his eternal state, is in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. You say, well, how can that be? He's God, friend. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. So this God can do that. And why? Here's the big question, verse 9. Why is God taking this view of time? He's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's what? Patient. God does not wish that any should perish. In other words, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The reason time goes on is he's populating heaven with those that receive him. He wants all people to reach repentance. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, if God would send people to hell, I could never believe in a God like that? I have. I've heard a number of people. God doesn't want people to go to hell. People reject him, and it's their choice. It's the power of free will. It's what makes us different from the animals. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, unexpected. Now listen to this. You may have never heard this. The heavens will pass away with a roar. And heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. What does that mean? The earth one day is going to be destroyed. The moon, our solar system, the universe, the planets. This factors in to my views about the environment. I will support anything that will help us have clean air and clean water. But at some point, there's a group of people out there that call themselves environmentalists. I think they're worshiping the earth. Worshiping the earth more than worshiping God. But I'm telling you, friends... All this time and energy we're putting into it, it's going to disappear. You say, what's going to happen? <laughs> Glad you asked. I'll tell you in a minute. Look what else it says. Not only will it be burned and dissolved, but the works that are done on it will be exposed. What does that mean? That means every good thing and every evil thing that you and I have thought, done, and said, and every human being, God has recorded it. And that's what judgment will be about. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need forgiveness of sins. That's what the cross is about. That's what Jesus did. So I won't be judged for my bad things, but God will forgive what I've done wrong. Now notice uh, verse 11, probably the most important verse in the passage. Since all these things will be dissolved, he asks a question, and it's a little labored. But what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, what the Message Bible says in John, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for Him when He appears. To be holy means that you're set apart to God. You're following God. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're following God. Godliness means that we're trying to live by the precepts of the Bible. You remember when John said that you'll have no reason for guilt or lame excuse? How would you feel? Let's say you're married and uh, you got a girlfriend on the side or a boyfriend on the side, and your wife said, Honey, i got to go to Dallas today, business trip. I'll, I'll probably be at 11 o'clock before I get home. Go ahead and, you know, eat dinner. And this girl you've been talking to on Facebook, you, you, you call her up and you say, Hey, my wife's gone. Want to come by maybe two o'clock, uh, 1 o'clock before the kids get home? And lo and behold, there she is, and you're in the back, you know, having fun. And your, your wife's seminar got canceled because the presenter had COVID and she knocks on the door at 2 o'clock. Honey, I'm home. 
how would you feel? Well, how would you feel if when Jesus comes back, you're living like the devil? This is what he's saying. This is why this is sobering. It's intended to be. You know, we have uplifting messages all the time, but I want to get your attention today. James is saying it's a sobering thing that he's coming back. We need to be ready. Look at verse 13. It gets better. According to God's promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In other words, this old earth is going to be gone, but you know what? <laughs> we're going to have a new place. We're not just going to sit on clouds and play harps all day. Uh, the earth is going to be occupied this real place called heaven will be occupied and you know what we'll be with the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever come on give him a good hand today it's worth fighting for let's look at two passages and then we'll, we'll close Matthew 24 they're both from Jesus Jesus said this and I would do you a disservice if I didn't read this he said there'll be trouble on earth not only on the earth but for believers before he comes again. Matthew 24, the whole chapter of Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about the last days. The disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age is the termination point. It's the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. It's the great white throne judgment. It's when heaven and hell, it's when the new Jerusalem comes to the earth. But what will be the sign of your coming? And it's odd, the first thing Jesus said was what? See that no one, see that no one leads you astray, Christian. See that you don't stop believing in Jesus. See that you don't slip into the new age. See that you don't fall away from the faith of your forefathers, the faith and the truth of the gospel. Don't be deceived. Many will come in my name. Notice it said many, saying, I am the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a Greek word. It means Messiah. It is, means Savior. It means Deliverer. And you know, political leaders, military leaders are often called Messiah. You want to do a little Google and just see past presidents that have been called a Deliverer, a Messiah, the one to help us. Listen, let's be real just a second. They're wanting to come out and do another stimulus again. I don't know if they'll get together. But I want to tell you what, friends. They're doing, if they want to do another $1.7, $1.9 trillion, at some point our money is going to be worthless. At some point the American dollar won't be the standard of the world. At some point America's a superpower will go down. Can you imagine if our money just almost overnight becomes worthless? What would we do? Now listen, I believe, I used to kind of make fun of preppers, but I believe we need to be prepared. How many are glad you had toilet paper on, uh, 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 when COVID hit? How many wish you'd had more toilet paper when COVID hit? Yeah. <laughs> ah, we won't explore that. But it's a good thing to be prepared. But prepared for the second coming is most important of all. Notice what Jesus said. Many are going to come. They're going to lead people astray. He said there'll be wars, verse 6, and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. How can you not be alarmed? Psalm 91, live in the secret place. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. These are the beginning of birth pains. Every woman that's had a child knows what the birth pain is. It's when it ceases to become fun and it becomes a battle. When yelling and sometimes cursing come from those sweet little lips. <laughs> Pow, men can't understand anything about it. This is what the earth is like. So, so could we see just a minute? 
our nation and the earth in birth pains? Is it just possible that there's something bigger for all the fires on the West Coast that may be bigger than, than, than forest management and all the hurricanes that continue to come through our land and, and all the earthquakes and all the violence on our streets? Could it be that the world is in birth pains? Could it be that there's an anticipation that Jesus is coming again? Now notice verse 9. I wish I didn't have to read you this, but I, I must. They will deliver you. Up to tribulation. They'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I've got to be honest, that scares me. It scares me not just for myself, but for many people. I can't even get some people to read their Bibles. I can't even get some people to, to pray. I can't even get some people to share their faith, our number one mission. But they call themselves Christian. And I wonder, how will we survive when you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast? Are we real today? What am I asking of you? I'm asking you to go deeper in your faith. I'm asking you to put your roots down in Christ. I'm asking you to make Jesus not just Savior, but make Him Lord of your life. I'm asking you to do what He said and love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, go deeper in God because, listen, friend, it's not just going to be our ability, and I'm confident of this. My strength fails. If I've learned anything in the last five years with my struggle for, with panic attacks, I can't do it. But you know what I found? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have found Philippians 1.6. He who began the good work in me, he'll bring it to completion. I've found that there's a power and a love that's greater that nobody can separate me from. But friends, I've got to be on the course and the pattern for that. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Uh, people are going to be hated. And, and here's the troubling thing, verse 10. Many will fall away. That word fall away, the Greek means many will cease believing. In other words, because you, you can't... I don't know what it's going to be, but because it's a choice between Jesus, you do understand that the bigger and more powerful governments get, we call them communist governments and all, and all that in Russia, they just kill the people that, that they don't want. They kill the dissenters. Uh, you, 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 easy fact to look up. Over the last hundred years, communists have killed over a hundred million people. So what do you think Christians are? We, we as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, are the only disagreement to secular culture today. There is nothing else. And one day they're coming after us. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. False prophets will arise and lead many astray. Lawlessness will be increased. Lawlessness is what you see. Well, the media tries to hide it, but you can find it. On the streets of places like Portland and uh, Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin and Minneapolis. The violence on the streets of our cities, it is lawlessness. I've never heard a greater insanity than defunding the police in all my life. Because there's only two ways to control the heart of a wicked individual. And that is either through they get changed on the inside by God or you need force to change them on the outside. That's what the police do. But lawlessness will increase. The love of many, the love for God will grow cold. But here's great news. The one who endures to the end will be saved. 
How many can say with me today, Pastor, by God's grace, I'm going to endure? Come on. By God's grace, I'm sticking in there. This earth is not my home. I'm a stranger passing through, and anything I give away or give up, come on, there's glory in heaven. Let me wrap up. If you give, give me three or four minutes. Who give me three or four minutes? Three, six, that's all I need. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said this, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. If you ever hear anybody try to predict it, walk away from it. When I lived in California, gratefully delivered, there was a book that was written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. True story. They gave away tens of thousands. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like Noah's day. Isn't that what James said? In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. They were going duck hunting and turkey hunting, and they were going to Dillard's and fighting the crowd at Walmart. They were going to Chick-fil-A. They were going to school. They were waiting for the bus to pick them up. They were planning the next vacation. I didn't say any of those things were wrong. It just paints a picture of people living life without God. People didn't realize what was going to happen. Until the flood came and swept them all away. And that's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Friends, we're in the minority. We're not the majority. Look at verse 42 and we'll close with this. Jesus said, you must keep watch. Stay awake. Always be ready. You don't know what day your Lord's coming. Be ready all the time. Son of Man's coming when least expected. Now, now here's a fair question. How do we remain ready? How do I remain ready? And I suggest, as I close with this, Jesus gave us this parable to contrast. Jesus said, who is the faithful and wise? There's our word. Who's the wise servant? Now, how many of that's us as Christians? The wise Christian, the master, Jesus, has put in, in charge, and this is just an example, put in charge of his servants in his household to give them food at their proper time. It could easily said, your gift, your passion, your calling well, it's going to be good for that servant when the master finds him doing when he returns. In other words, when Jesus comes back and we're faithfully serving God. This is the answer of how you be ready. Faithfully serve God every day. It, it's not expecting sinless perfection. It's not expecting we'll never make a mistake. It just means when we make a mistake, we ask God to forgive us. We get back on track and we endeavor to repent. We serve the Lord. We, give, we, 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 we live the Christian life. Notice the contrast. And here's the dangerous thing. Jesus said uh, uh, he's going to put him in charge of all his possessions. That's the reward. But notice the contrast. Suppose the servant is wicked. This is the professing Christian that's not living the life, that either is not a Christian or is not serious. Servant's wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Jesus, 2,000 years. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with the drunkards. Just examples of doing crazy stuff, living worldly, you know. Then he begins to beat them. And the master of the servant, that's Jesus, he's going to come in a day when he doesn't expect him. I don't like 51. He's going to cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrite. Hypocrite is a pretender, somebody wearing a mask where there's going to be weeping of teeth and gnashing of teeth. 
I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound too good to me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the wicked servant, but I want to be the faithful servant. How many can say I'm right with you, Pastor? Listen, I don't know about you, but listen, I am going to live my life excited for his coming, expectant of his return, and serving the Lord all the days of my life. I'm living, I'm committed to live like I hope you're committed to live. We're going to live like wise servants. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be ready. We're going to be on mission, reaching people. We're going to endeavor to live by the Bible. We're going to endeavor to be close to God and love people. And one day, come on, Jesus is going to find us and he's going to say, good, welcome, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Stand to your feet. We'll finish her up next week. My wife reminded me of of the second to the last verse in the book of Revelation. Jesus said, I'm come, I'm coming quickly. And you know what the people said? Come, Lord Jesus. Can you say that with me? Come, Lord Jesus. Say it again. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to ask you to do something before you turn off. Have you ever, oh, I don't know, it could have been an ad on the internet. Actually, my, Rebecca, my daughter's here with me today, and, and uh, her uh, uh, boyfriend's with us, uh, Blake. We're honored to have him. And he, he said something. He said, yeah, my, he said, have you ever heard of microgreens? And I said, yeah, I have. It's a little seeds. And he's talking about how power packed they are with vitamins and minerals and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I thought, well, I need to, I need to get a hold of that. Uh, I need that. So I had him send me that, you know, send me the link because it's something that I want to remember to do. Well, a sermon is not supposed to be listened to and forgotten. We don't just hear it but we act on it. And I want you to just do this private moment with God just a second. Just bow your head and close your eyes so nobody's watching. But I wonder what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about this morning. Has there been any conviction? Is there anything in this message where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to stop doing that? Has there been anything that you need to ask God's forgiveness for? Is there anything that you've been neglecting that we should be doing while we're waiting? Don't beat yourself up. This is not a condemnation place. This is a get it right place. Turn your heart towards God so you'll hear the well done when Jesus comes back. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you how we're going to close. We're going to sing one last song. Pastor Travis, come and stand with me just a second. We're going to sing one song and then, then dismiss. And uh, you can go out the front doors if you like or the back doors. Please do your best to social distance. I encourage wearing masks when we're coming in and going out. If you're a guest, there's a gift in the lobby. Of course, the political information stuff is out there too if you want it. But uh, uh, your offering, if you have that, you can drop it in the, in the door. But what we're going to do is when this song starts, I'm going to ask our prayer team at that time to come to the front. And there's going to be some men and women up here to pray for you. You need prayer for anything, there's going to be someone. Because listen, it's a bad thing to come to church being bummed out, hurt, bad, in trouble, pressured, and leave the same way. Sometimes you just need somebody to pray for you. <laughs> I banged my nose up and I was hurting last night. <laughs> and I asked Steve to pray for me. It helps. Prayer helps. But there's another group that I want to invite to come. And this is why I asked Pastor Travis to come up. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my greatest need is just to get right with God. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you're a Christian or not. 
You don't know if you died today, if you go to heaven or hell. But in the course of this hour and 20 minutes, your heart's been drawn closer to God. You'd say, I believe in Jesus, but I've never committed my life to follow him. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, what I need is I need forgiveness. I need to know how to get it. I, I, just, I just feel guilty and shame. We want to pray for you. You see, Jesus made this statement. Jesus said, you must be born again. It's a spiritual rebirth that's greater than coming to church. It's a place of invitation where we ask Christ to come into our lives. We pray, ask for his forgiveness. We pray and commit our lives to follow Jesus. I want to tell you, friend, it's the beginning of the greatest change that will ever happen in your life. And if you're hungering for a real relationship with God, or, or maybe you used to walk with the Lord and got away, and you want to recommit your life, I'm going to ask you group of people wanting to get right with God that when they start singing this song that you come up and talk to this man, Pastor Travis, and he'll tell you how to have a real relationship with Jesus and give something that will help you. With that prayer team, why don't you come on up to the front right now? And if you want prayer for anything, I'll invite you to the front. Our prayer team is coming to the altar. If you want prayer for anything, you come and meet with them. Most importantly, if you want Pastor Travis to pray with you as you get your life right with God, we're here for you. I love you. Let's sing this song. You come as we're praying.